0: Right. let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, I commence reading from verse 19, and we'll be focusing on the last two verses of chapter 1. James is after the book of Hebrews, somewhere in the New Testament. James chapter 1, I commence reading from verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is righteous and does not braddle his tongue, but receives, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's once again pray together, shall we? Father, we are grateful for allowing us this opportunity this afternoon to be able to be found in your presence we give you thanks for the songs that we've sung reminding us of the God that we serve. We thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit we are able to be reminded that we belong to you and the death of your son accomplished that for us. So we come with that assurance that this afternoon, as we tend to to your word, cause that this book of gems may come alive to us, as we draw lessons, that, Lord, you may engrave these lessons on the tablets of our hearts, and that our faith may be seen in practical, godly living. Pray this afternoon for each one present and those joining us via our live transmission, that, Lord, you be with them, and that may your word be ministered in such a way that all of us will benefit from having been present in the house of worship. Be with the preacher as well as the hearers for the sake of Christ. Amen. We continue in our study of the book of James. And this afternoon we conclude chapter 1 of the book of James. This afternoon we'll be considering the last two verses, verse 26 and 27. I've said before and I say again that James' goal is to show that true faith shows itself in practical godly living. And as he seeks to highlight how faith shows itself in practical godly living, he challenges his audience and in a wide application to all of us that if we claim that we have faith in God, our faith must show itself in practical godly living. In the, in, as he concludes his chapter, James highlights that in view of what he has been saying, in, in view of the lessons learned in the school of adversity, as, you, as he was addressing the testing of our faith, how to conduct ourselves in times of trials, he now instructs that there is need for a spirit of obedience And this spirit of obedience must be eager to hear God's word and not only to hear God's word but to be sensitive to the will of God. And this spirit of obedience will show itself in how we are quick to receive God's word and to implement what God is saying. And so James closes this initial chapter with a survey of uh, what pure religion ought to look like and he declares that pure religion is not an is not simply an appearance of piety an appearance of religiousness an appearance of zealousness but pure religion has the ability to be restrained in speech but also to be compassionate uh, to the needy it involves as well as separation from the defilement of the world and so in this last segment of chapter 1 he brings out the, the, this theme of the nature Of acceptable obedience before God. And as he brings out this aspect of the nature of acceptable obedience before God, he's basically saying to all of us that as we examine our religion, as we examine our faith, as we examine ourselves, our faith rather, ask yourself the question, is my religion, simply external, simply an outward appearance, or is it accompanied by the inner self-control that can only be brought about by the power and the presence of God the Holy Spirit in a soul. And so what James deals with in in these verses, becomes an outline for the rest of the book of James. Because in chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 and 5, he begins to open up and trying to show that true faith shows itself in practical, godly living in the day-to-day of our lives, in how we relate with one another, and in how we conduct ourselves in the midst of the community in which we live in. And so as we open up these two verses, we need to examine ourselves. Ask yourself this question, is this the nature of my obedience to God? Because if this is not true of you, then your obedience, however sincere it might be, is not acceptable before God, because the scriptures are clear on what the acceptable obedience is before God. So let's open up those two verses. The first thing we see there is the uselessness of religious activity without inner self-control. The uselessness of religious activity without inner control or the futility of religious activities which are simply external or outward. And this is what he says in verse 6. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, James, in explaining uh, the the implications of serving God, he tells his audience, he writes to us, first on how we ought to serve God. And as he pictures this this inadequate religious obedience, he first of all begins by highlighting that this is not a way we must serve God. And as he highlights that, he then presents his verdict that a person who is like this who simply has these religious activities which are simply external, however sincere he might be, the verdict is that his religion is worthless. And so James writes, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And in verse 26, he begins with what is referred to as a conditional statement. And he's giving the condition, and on that conditions, he now concludes the true status of such a person. Now, this conditional statement assumes the actual existence of such a person. Now James is not writing simply trying to picture or just throwing punches in the air. He's basically saying that when it comes to religious activities or when it comes to religion, they are individuals who are like this. And such individuals... Must be called to examine themselves. And that's the conditional statement that he puts. If anyone thinks he's religious but has no control of his tongue, such a person deceives themselves and their religion is. Worthless. And so, what James is driving at is this that such an individual may consider themselves religious, and maybe they have a reputation in the community, in the church, of being religious. Such a person, regardless of the reputation, their religion is worthless. And so the adjective that he uses "their re- religious, occurs only here in the New Testament. The Greek word that is used to refer to the, to the word religious is only used here in the New Testament. And then the corresponding noun, religion, is only used four times in the New Testament. Of those four times, two times is used in the book of James, in verse 26 and 27. And then the other two times is used in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, In Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, there the Apostle Paul was uh, talking of his rigorous ceremonial worship as a Pharisee. As he's giving his account to the king, he refers back to a time when his religion was worthless. And he says of the time... When I was so zealous, I I gave myself into this outward expression of my religion. And as a Pharisee, I was zealous to fulfill everything I saw in the law. And he said, but I count all that as worthless. Because it was simply useless. It was external. And then in Colossians 5... Colossians 2 and verse 18. In Colossians 2 verse 18, the word that is used for worship, in the Greek it's the same word that is used here in James for religion. In Colossians chapter 2, it has a bad connotation due to the added phrase, the worship of angels. And again there, Paul, he's actually trying to show that there are individuals who are given to outward religious activities and yet their religious activities, their religion is useless. And so you see that in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18. Now James' point is this, as he uses that adjective, religious, He is painting this picture that the religious and diligent performance of outward and ceremonial aspects of worship are useless before God. You can be diligent. You can be zealous. You can perform all these outward religious activities. The God who sees your heart. Knows that this is simply a show. And so those religious activities, yes, for a season, they may restrain you from doing that which is really in your heart, but they will not cause you to be acceptable before God. And James brings out this truth, and he says the negative... Element that is a distinguishing figure, or rather distinguishing failure in this person's life, is that he fails or she fails to tame the tongue. And again, the word that James uses there to bridle his tongue, which in other versions is used as to tame the tongue, is only used twice in the New Testament, and both of those times, it's in the book of James. In chapter 1, verse 26, and then later on in chapter 3 and verse 2. And again, what James is saying here, that to to bridle the tongue is to, to guard your tongue, to keep your tongue in check, and to check your tongue with with a noose, as it were, or a strap, or to have a control over your tongue. What James does not make comments on uh, how this uncontrolled tongue, the problems that it brings. But his point is this. What is highlighting is this, that if one has no control on the tongue and they use the tongue for whatever verbal abuse that they may think of, what that proves is that deep down that person's heart, there is no true faith. If what is coming out of them is basically a show that there is no self-control in that person. Kent Eugene's writes, and I quote, The words of James chapter 1 and verse 26 is a spiritually terrifying statement, to say the least. For it cuts like a hot knife through, warm, through hot, warm butter, dissecting the hypocrisy and the piety of the self-satisfied religious. An out-of-control tongue suggests false religion, no matter how well one's devotion is carried out. The true test of a man's spirituality is not his ability to speak, as we all are quick to think, but rather his ability to tame his tongue his ability to tame his tongue. And so James' concern is this, that what comes out of the person is an indication of what is in the heart of the person. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 to 34, when he was talking to the Pharisees in in that heated exchange as it were. The Lord Jesus Christ explains to the Pharisees and tells them, when you make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. You make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. He goes on to say, you brood of vipers, How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. And this is also the point that James is bringing out here. That what comes through the mouth is as a result of what is inside of us. And a person devoid of the grace of God will be seen in how they fail to tame their tongue. The tongue will inevitably reveal what is inside of an individual. And this is essentially true when under stress or going through some difficulty when the tongue is that's when the tongue is compulsively revealing when you're going through stress and you utter words and that indicates what is really going through your heart a story is told of a, of 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 a preacher with, an, with a hammer. A preacher with a hammer in his hand was doing some work on a, church, on a church ground during the church work day. And as he was doing that, he noticed that there was one man who seemed to be following him wherever he was going. And finally, the preacher asked, but why are you following me wherever I'm going? And this was the man's answer. Very interesting. I just want to hear what you say when you hit your thumb. He says, because that will be the moment of truth. When as you are doing your work and you hit your thumb, what will come out of you, what will be true of you? That's what this, this, this man was really saying. And this is also James' point. That when you are stressed or in the moment of heated arguments or whatever it is you are going through, what really comes out of you, that's the moment of truth. That's what really is going through you. And if... What is constantly coming out of you is an indication that you have no control over your tongue. That is the true you. And James is saying that, that religion is futile. It's simply external and has no inner control of the Holy Spirit. The same could be said Of domestic stress at home, where the mouth constantly trumps one's heart, it really shows what is inside of us. Now, James does not mean that those who sometimes fall into this sin have a worthless religion. Because he knows that we are all guilty of this. Once in a while, our tongues are untamed. But rather, what James is saying is that if one's tongue is habitually uncontrolled, though his church attendance may be faultless, Though his Bible knowledge may be envied, his prayers may be many, his ties may be extraordinary, and though he considers himself religious, such a person is deceiving themselves because their tongue is constantly, it's habitually uncontrolled. And so James goes on to say that if this is true of anyone, such a one deceives his heart. And it is interesting that James is not talking about such a person deceiving those around, but rather he's saying that such a one is deceiving themselves. They are not deceiving those around, although those around may think that they are saved. But James is concerned that all these outward activities are simply bringing deception to the person who's doing them. And he's saying, because this person who's deceiving themselves There's a contrast between what they portray outwardly and what flows out of them through their mouth. And James is stressing that such a person fails to see this contradiction that is in them. On one end, they assume that they've been accepted before God, And this God who is holy, who sees all things, has accepted them, and yet the evil words that come out of them are saying something different. And so James writes that the verdicts of such a one, the finding, according to James, is that such a person's religion is worthless that's what he says there. And he's not saying that, this, that his religion is hollow and without content. No. But he's saying that it is useless. Because it fails to bring the person to see the goal of religion. And the goal of religion is that to glorify God. This religion is intended to bring us to a point where we see our own sinfulness and run to God who alone has the answers for us. But a person who deceives themselves, their religion is worthless because they continue to engage in religious activities. They continue to do everything outwardly, and yet they know deep down their hearts that if they are to stand before a holy God, their religion is worthless. The inner person is unchanged. And James is saying such religion is useless. It's worthless. Because the person has, been, has not been brought into the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christianity that is simply dotted with external religious activities is devoid of the regenerating power of the gospel. And such a professed Christianity is useless and is unprofitable, just as idol worship is useless and profitable. And James is saying, this is futile. You can be as engaged in many activities in the body of Christ, in the church of Christ, But if those activities are simply accompanied by outward expression, not with the inner life which is changed by the Holy Spirit, such a one, such a religion is useless. But the second thing we see is how James highlights the useful active religious service that is accompanied with inner self control. The useful active religious service accompanied with inner self control. The first part of verse 27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions. And James is saying, you must put the word of God into practice. This word of God that you say you claim to believe, and you claim to have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, reduce it into practice. And as James admits the need of religion, he contends that religious obedience with our God must unite the inner and the outward effects of the gospel. There must be this unity. That the inner man has been transformed and has it been transformed by the power of the gospel. There's this outward experience, there's this outward effect that the gospel brings so that what is inside of you may be seen outside of you. Basically living it out in your day-to-day life. through religion, true living religion, must know the reality of the divine life within as well as experience of its invigorating activity in the person. The two must go together. If there's been a change that has been brought about inside of you by the Holy Spirit, it must cause us to experience its influence, its power, its energizing influence and must cause us to have this religion that is pure and undefined. And such a life... Will produce obedience to the word of God, and it will seek to be pleasing in the sight of God. And James says, "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to love orphans and widows in their afflictions." And so. The word pure signifies that which is essentially free from moral corruption or moral pollution. That's what James is really saying there. And when he talks about undefied, he's basically saying that this religion is not stained by moral evil, and therefore, this religion is not worthless, it's useful. And James underscores that concern for widows, concern for orphans, is a true measure of obedience that is pleasing to God. And he's basically saying, Our concern for the needy shows that truly we are born of God. And that's why he begins by saying, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Because when James addresses God as the Father, he's saying those who claim to be God's children must have the interest that God the Father himself has. And those interests that God the Father has is that of helping those that are needy in society. The power of the gospel must manifest itself in the believer's social and personal ethics. That's what James is saying. Social and personal ethics. The social conditions in ancient times were such that orphans and widows were unprotected. Because they had no guardian, no breadwinner. And so they were vulnerable. And so God had to put to, to tell the nation of Israel to have laws governing the widows and the orphans. When you read in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 18, you find God saying something about widows and orphans. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and then Deuteronomy chapter 24, and Deuteronomy chapter 26, God was concerned that the needy in society will not be attended to, and therefore, he had to write these things to the nation of Israel. And now James here is writing that this is a religion that God the Father accepts, Because it is God's interest to ensure that those vulnerable in the community are somehow protected and not taken advantage of. And so the term that James uses to visit the orphans and widows is more than a friendly social call. In the Greek culture, this term, to to visit, was commonly used of visiting the sick, whether by a doctor or a friend. And so in the Jewish practice, it commonly meant to visit with the aim of acting or with the aim of meeting the need of the person in need, meeting the needs of those who are visited. And so if you remember in Job chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible tells us when Job's friends heard what had befallen Job, they came together and decided to go visit him. So it wasn't just a social visit to say, okay, how are you doing? What's happening? And how did, what, explain what all this happened? How did God strike you and killed everything? No. They, they knew what their culture of the day was. That when you say, I'm going to visit someone in need, you are basically saying, we are going there so that we are able to be channels of blessings and meet the needs of our friend in need. And so when James is writing there, he said this is what pure religion is to visit orphans and widows. He's basically saying this is more than simply a friendly call. It's concern. And not only being concerned, you are moved to do something in order to help with the situation. And so these are not acts of love by delegation. It's being present and doing something about it. And so the implication that James is writing to us is that these are not random acts or isolated acts but these are acts that stem from a deep conviction that my faith causes me to move out of my way and meet the needs of those whom God brings my way. And someone wrote, and I quote, visiting orphans and widows means doing something for those who cannot retain the favor doing something for those who cannot return the favor. And the bottom line is this. Our faith in God must reflect something of the character of God. And God is a God who is concerned for those who are socially needy, economically needy, it reflects something of God the Father. And if we are his children, we will seek to emulate him. That even as we go out there and begin to practice our faith, and when God brings those in our way who are in need, that we will not only be be aware and be concerned of the need, if God puts us in a position to meet those needs, we will move out of our way and move into the situation and be able to meet those needs. Because it is accompanied by the inner conviction that the God who saved me from sin has put me in this position to be of help in this situation. And James is saying that is what true religion is. That's what true faith does. It's no longer selfish. It goes beyond the person and begins to look at God's world and God's kingdom. True religion is expressed in what you do among those who tend to be hidden and marginalized. This is what James is saying. Visiting widows and orphans. And thirdly and lastly, we see that the nature of this acceptable obedience before God is that it shows itself in willingness to apply the word of God without compromise. It shows itself in the willingness to apply the word without compromise. And this is the last part of verse 27. But let's read all of it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself and stand from the world. Acceptable obedience brings about willingness to apply the word without moral or spiritual compromise. James is saying we must live a spotless life in a polluted world. And as we are surrounded by this pollution of sin, we must be able to say we will not compromise the word in any way. And James edges us, Yes, to become socially concerned with the needs around us, with the needy around us. But he's also saying that we need to watch that we don't stray away from the word of God. And he's saying, you must keep oneself and stand from the world and that word to keep indicates a continuous actions action rather a regular continuous action in other words james is saying we must constantly keep ourselves from this pollution that is around us while we are in the midst of it, keeping oneself and stand by the world is the long lasting duty of Christians. While we are here on earth, we must not allow for any exceptions or any qualifications. No, we must apply the word without compromise, whether morally or spiritually. And we must watch our lives and our doctrine closely. And James is saying this is what will bring about a balanced social concern to the people of the world. That as we see those needs around us, we will not just want to meet them physically, but we also be concerned of their spiritual state. Because we realize that they are in the midst of a polluted world. And that even if we meet their needs, they'll still have that one need, the burden of sins upon them. And so James is saying when there's this balance, it will cause you, yes, to move out of your way and physically move into a situation and be of any help physically... But it will cause you not to just be limited by the physical needs. It will cause you to raise your eyes and see the spiritual needs around you. And this will cause us to be willing to apply the word of God without any compromise. Even as we live In this polluted world, we are to be characterized by a moral and spiritual purity. The basic focus of our lives must be our commitment to our God. And as we commit ourselves to God and do that which pleases God, we'll seek to worship him and we'll keep an eye on the world that we are living in. As believers, we must seek to emulate our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who lived and walked in this sinful world, and yet did not sin against God in any way. He was right in the midst of this world, and his eye was focused on his mission, to do the will of him who sent him to come into this world. And everything in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was channeled for that purpose, to glorify God and to finish the task that the Father had put upon him. And we too must emulate him. That while we seek to attend to the needs around us, spiritual, Balance, our spiritual goal is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We must not allow the things of this world to contaminate us. We must not allow ourselves to allow the filth of this world to rub off on us. We must remain and stand in this world. And this, for, this calls for alertness, spiritual alertness, that we are in this world that is polluted with sin. And we must be sought and light. The world's system and all it stands for is in rebellion against God. And we, who are believers, must have our spiritual antennas up and constantly watching so that we don't find ourselves contaminated by the things of this world. And we can only do that if we have this eagerness to apply the word of God without compromise, to our spiritual and our moral lives. Living faith accepts God's word, has setting the objective content of our faith, as well as the motivating power to live as Christians in this world. And we must read God's word. It highlights and gives us how we ought to live our faith. And it encourages us to live that faith. Martin Luther said, and I quote, The world does not need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration of religion. Religion. And we can only do that if we are living a balanced Christian life. And John Calvin wrote, and with that I will end. We must observe that the knowledge of God which we are invited to cultivate is not that which, which resting satisfied with empty speculations of the brain, but a knowledge which will prove substantial and fruitful whenever it is duly perceived and it's rooted in the heart. We must observe that the knowledge of God which we are invited to cultivate is not that which resting satisfied with empty speculation only in the brain, but a knowledge which will prove substantial and fruitful whenever it is duly perceived and rooted in the heart. True faith shows itself in godly living. Not just godly living, but practical godly living. And our cry must be always, the words of the hymn will sing, trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen.